Each year on this second Sunday of Lent, the gospel presents to us this, this episode of the transfiguration. On the liturgical calendar, we celebrate it as a theological mystery and feast on August 6th. So at least twice a year, we get this invitation to contemplate the transfiguration. And there's a beautiful depiction of it here in the center of the sanctuary where we see Jesus with Elijah and Moses, Peter, James, and John falling down. And then as we read in the scriptures, when they come down the mountain, the other apostles are having difficulty casting out a demon from a young man that's also depicted here at the bottom. So this mountaintop experience where Peter, James, and John had the clear vision of the divinity of God in the person of Jesus Christ. They got to see the beatific vision, the goal of what our life is, to be in heaven gazing upon the face of God for all eternity. Maybe we can think that Mother Church gives us this day to celebrate and to recognize, to contemplate in the season of Lent, because we've just started this, this journey into the desert. And that we've done such great penances already that we're about to give up. And so we get a glimpse of the end, so we can know for which we're doing all these things. And so maybe that could be a test on how well we set ourselves up for this season of Lent. Have I struggled in my Lenten practices already? Have I already had to go to confession because I failed? Or has it been kind of easy because I just do the same things every year? I don't have coffee. I don't have chocolate. I don't scroll social media. Things that may present a challenge, but do they really change our heart? And do they really get us in touch with the depravity of the sin in our life? Because that's what this is all about. That's what the season of Lent is for. To purge us of the sin, of the attachments to myself and the attachments to this world. And while it's never fun to have to preach about it, and it's never fun to have to hear about it, it's the reality. And if we don't confront it, then we will never change. But we don't change for change's sake. We understand the goal of our life is to be in heaven forever. And then we remember that's why we were made. If we recall from last week, the gospel, where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Turn away from sin and believe in the good news. A proclamation that freedom is available. And if we can recall even further back, some weeks, we had the second reading from St. Paul in Corinthians, who said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And we explored what the gospel is, and how each one of us is called to be pro- proclaimers, preachers of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That God created you because he loves you. That he created you to be in communion with him to be happy with him forever. But because of original sin, that communion was corrupted. 
And that while Adam and Eve were formed in the image and likeness of God, sin corrupts that likeness. So while we are in his image, no doubt, the likeness is not yet perfect. And it's that corruption of sin that Christ came to free us from, to rescue us from the slavery. The Israelites were rescued from their slavery in Egypt. Jesus rescues us from slavery to sin so that we can now live in the freedom for which God had originally intended us. But we can live in the happiness, the beatitude, the beatific vision. And this is the driving force, or it should be the driving force of our lives. And the season of Lent is given to us so that we can go to that interior room and cry out to God the Father and repent for our sins and ask to be restored to the fullness of grace so that we can begin again to live the life for which we were created. What did Peter say so beautifully in the gospel when he saw that vision? Lord, it's good that we are here. The spiritual masters would tell us that we experience this each time we come to Mass. We don't get the dazzling, white, transfigured God, but we're in the presence of Jesus, really, truly present. And in a very small, maybe Florida mountain here, but we have come to the top of the mountain, and God will be on display for you. Is it good that you are here? Do you want to build a tent and stay here? Or is this just something we do on a Sunday morning to get it out of the way? Have I truly encountered the living presence of Jesus Christ? Is it really good that I am here and do I want to stay? It's a good examination for us. Again, we recall last week the call to repentance which is the focus of Lent but it's the constant call of our life as disciples the continual call to turn away from anything that's not of God so that we can then turn to God because we recall what Joel told us on Ash Wednesday return to me says the Lord with your whole heart so to return turning away and going back with your whole heart. Your whole heart, not just part of it. Your entire heart. And so this season of Lent is here to help us move from that stage of loving of myself, enslavement to my sins, to that beatific vision. Throughout the course of the church, the spiritual masters have talked to us about the three stages of the interior life as a way that we can mark our journey because we're all on our journey. And again, the goal of our journey is to heaven. And so if it's not heaven, we know where else it's going. But there's three stages of the interior life to mark our journey. And it's not like we're playing video games where we get level one, level two, and level three. It's kind of fluid, and there's movement back and forth, and there's glimpses here and glimpses there. 
But that first stage is a stage called purgation, the beginner level, the purgative stage of the interior life, where we realize that God is real and that I'm not God and that my life is not oriented towards him and I need to change some things in my life. I need to begin to purge of my self-love and my attachment to this world. You know, it's common in our culture to, to emphasize the individual, my identity, and, and promote my ego and my self-esteem, that I become the best version of myself and I live my best, live na- my best life now. It's all about me. My focus is on me. And even my religious practices help me. I'm still attached to myself. We need to be purged of that. Die to self, Jesus says. That the path to heaven is narrow and very few find it. But the road to perdition is wide and many choose it. And so we have to go on this journey through this purgation. It's where we voluntarily do mortifications and penances. We, well, we regularly do fasting. We deny ourselves things. We avoid things that we know will lead us into sin. We pray in that act of contrition, the near occasion of sin, which can be people, places, and things. And so if we're serious about this life, then we're going to be serious about this purgation. As, as we cooperate with God's grace, we move out of that prison of ourselves. And we stop being so delighted by our senses that it feels good, so I'm going to do it. So I do it, and therefore it must be good. Our passions, our senses dictate our choices. And then we try to justify it because it feels good. And this is just the way that I am. This is how God made me. Again, it's all the self-focus. But we move through that as we practice the virtues of detachment. And we spend time in prayer. And this stage is primarily vocal prayer. Those common prayers that we all learn as children that teach us the vocabulary of how to think about God and think about his church. And then the next stage is the illuminative stage. Some of us remember from the, the cartoons from our childhood where the light bulb would go off, where they finally get the clear idea. This, we're illuminated. We see things. We remember those, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding of God, that we begin to see things as God sees them so then we can love them as God loves them. In that purgative stage, and before we enter that purgative stage, we said that we love things and we use people. And it's pretty common in our lives. Is that we use people for our own good, and then we begin to love the things of our lives. But it's the opposite for God. That things are used so that we can love him and love our neighbor. And so we move to this other stage where we're starting to see through God's eyes and we're loving with his heart. And our prayer becomes deeper, more consistent. 
that we can do the imaginative prayer of Lexio Divina, that we can sit here and look at sacred images and allow our heart to be elevated to God. That then we stop being teased by our senses. And that the choice that we make being a good choice is pleasing in and of itself. I don't like to work out, but I know I need to, so I do it, and it's good. I don't like to eat broccoli, but I know I need to, so I do it, and it's good. We take pleasure from doing the right thing, not necessarily because it feels good. And then we can start to voluntarily suffer. That we don't seek to avoid pain and suffering at any cost. We begin to enter into redemptive suffering. That the minor inconveniences and the heavy crosses that I carry, Lord, I do it for you. This is all setting the stage for that third stage, the unitive stage, where we become one, where the communion that was ours from the beginning is once again ours now. That we simply enjoy being in God's presence. Married couples, move through these stages. How often does a husband and wife just choose to be together? They don't need to do anything. They don't need to talk. I just want to be with you to enjoy the communion. That gives us a glimpse of what our goal, the goal of our life is. But we must hear the constant call of repentance. We must desire to give up everything for God. We could go a whole nother hours going through that first reading about Abraham and Isaac. But he loved God so much. He trusted God so much that he was going to the extreme with his son. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? If God sent his son to die for us, what will he not give us? I can say concretely that none of you are asked to take your son up a mountain to sacrifice him. But what are you holding on to? What are those things in your life that you can't imagine letting go of? Ask for that grace of detachment of all things so that you can love God First, above all things, then you can love your neighbor as you should. Then with Peter, you'll be able to say, Lord, it is good that we are here. Amen.